Well, good morning again. Oh, that's not bad. Good morning again. Here we go. Hello. Um, if you are um, just joining us and uh, you're not familiar with where we're going, uh, we are in a process of 31 weeks of traveling through what is called the story, which is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. And today we're doing chapter 5, and uh, we're talking about uh, new commands and new covenant. Now, um, a number of weeks ago, earlier, um, we did, uh, a number of months ago actually, we did a series on the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to try not to duplicate or to rehearse all that we did there, and hopefully we'll look at some new things this morning. Let's stand together. Uh, I'm going to read this color, which is blue, and you're going to read white. Um, and here's something I've noticed over the last couple of months. I try and keep the text, the biblical text, short, but I've noticed that when the biblical, text is, the biblical texts are short, it takes us a while to get the rhythm. But the longer we read, the longer text, we sort of get the rhythm. So just listen to yourselves read today. You'll see what I mean. So this is um, Exodus chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to, your, to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations.
Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole, mantle, the whole mountain trembled violently. See how well you read? See that flow? It's beautiful. I think it's great. And one of the reasons why we do this is I think that because we have such a high view of Scripture, don't you find it unusual that in Pentecostal churches we don't read Scripture much? That's why I want us to read the Scripture together. It's good to hear the Word of the Lord, is it not? Let's pray. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for the living Lord Jesus Christ and all that you have accomplished in, through, and as Him. And Lord, we are so thankful and so grateful, Lord, that you have allowed us by the Holy Spirit to, that everything that you've made possible and available in Jesus Christ is applicable in our lives because we are the sons and daughters of God. But it's applicable to anybody and everybody that will say yes. So Father, we ask that the same Holy Spirit would give us a mouth to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and particularly as we leave this place, as we leave this property, as we leave this facility that we'll go out into our marriages and our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and, our, and, our, and the places where we get our education or where we buy our services and where we do our recreation and that we will live out by the power of the Spirit what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. So help us, we pray in His name. We ask these mercies. Amen. You may be seated. The Exodus is the pivotal story. It begins in Egypt in slavery. Deliverance comes by God through Moses. And our text tells us that on the third, first day of the third month after Israel left Egypt. But their troubles do not end there. They leave Egypt, of course, and Pharaoh has a change of mind and he decides to pursue them. And he pursues them all the way to the Red Sea. And God, of course, opens the Red Sea and the entire family nation of Israel, of Jacob, walks across on dry land with walls of water on either side and then we know that the water falls back in and Pharaoh and his posse are eliminated and then we read these words and they came to the desert of Mount Sinai now I think for those of us who aren't totally familiar with the Bible we need to get our bearings a little bit around what we mean by Mount Sinai first of all is this that there are five times in the Bible where Mount Sinai is also referred to as the mountain of God. This, of course, is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments and then brings them down to the people. But there is also, Sinai is also known not only as the, the mountain of God, but it's also known as Mount Horeb. These are all the same mountain. This is all the same mountain. And there we understand that Moses and the, the uh, burning bush incident takes place in Exodus uh, chapter uh, 3. And then, of course, we know it's in this same place that God brought water miraculously from the rock to, to actually quench the thirst of the people of Israel. 
And it was also here that Elijah was on the run from Queen Jezebel and he ran to Mount Horeb, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And many people believe that this is the same mountain on which the transfiguration of Jesus took place in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. So it is at Mount Horeb, it is at Mount Sinai, it is at the mountain of God that Israel's Jacob's family nation find themselves. And we find them here in Exodus chapter 19. And the next thing that happens is significant. Because it is here that God calls a people to himself. For the very first time, God actually calls the nation of Israel, the family of Jacob, to himself as being his people. And these are the words that we read in Exodus that we just read a moment ago. Now he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel or to the Israelites. Now, we will read these words again. We'll read them in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 9. Moses will rehearse these words in the ears of this family nation as he is making his departure from earth. And we, the church, we will hear these words again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Because we as the church are an extension of what God has been doing in, through, and as Jesus Christ with Israel's family nation. This is God's covenant with Israel. This is God's covenant with the family nation of Jacob. God called them to himself, not because, not because they were any more special or better than or greater than any other nation on the world, were, uh, in the world. God chose to love them arbitrarily. He just chose them. God chose them for his plan and for his purpose. Now, God's covenant can simply be stated in three words. I choose you. It's like a marriage covenant. I choose you. And you choose your love, and you love your choice. And this is what God did with Israel. God made his covenant with them. He said, basically, I choose you. The same way in which, as Christ followers, the Holy Spirit chose us. When you became a Christian, God looked at you and said, I choose you, Danielle. I choose you, Derek. I choose you, Jeannie. I choose you, Todd. God chose you. He chose me. And he chose Israel. And the Bible tells us also in Jeremiah and in Isaiah in three different spots that his covenant is an everlasting covenant. It is forever and ever and ever. Amen. It is an everlasting covenant. But there's also this. And I want you to pay attention to this comment. The contrast 
between Israel's family nation slavery in Egypt and their freedom in the desert of Sinai cannot be overstated. The contrast between Israel's family nation in slavery in Egypt and their freedom in the desert of Mount Sinai cannot be overstated. When God dominated their lives, they were free. When man dominated their lives, they lived enslaved. The same thing applies to you and me. When God dominates our lives, we are free. When man dominates our lives, we are enslaved. They are free. Now Moses has led them across the Arabian desert. And they are here camped and they begin a life of learning what it means to be God's people instead of Pharaoh's slaves. Here they discover how to live as a free people and not as slaves. Here they begin to learn what it means to live under the provident blessings of God and not under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Here they discover what it means to live by faith and not by works. For four centuries, they have been building grandiose pyramid tombs for a select group of mummified corpses. And now they would go to work building a living community of faith. And this becomes the backdrop for the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are given to this family nation who do not yet know how to function as a freed community. They have to learn as a nation of slaves what it means to function together as a community of people. A community of people who are used to having everything told to them. When they get up, when they go to bed, when they eat, what they are to do and how much they are to do. But this is a people now who have been told all their lives what they were supposed to do and how to do it, and now all of a sudden they are free and they're learning what it means to be a community, to function as a community. It's like the kid who was angry at his parents because of their rules. And he storms out of the house and he yells back to them, I am done with your rules. I want to be free. I'm joining the armed forces. <laughs> yes, because that's freedom. Nobody in the armed forces will tell you when to go to bed, when to get up, when to be home, when you should eat and when you should not. Some people mistakenly think that the Ten Commandments are restrictive and do not realize that the Ten Commandments were first received, heard, and lived 
as a provision of values for a community who is learning what it means to be a free community. Here's something to think about. It took Europe between, it took Europe up to, up to 1,500 years to lose their sense of God. To become rootless. To lose their foundation. 1,500 years. It took us in Canada less than 200 years to lose our sense of God and to become rootless and without a foundation. Think about that. But let's get back to our text before I go down a rabbit's trail. The Ten Commandments are values that are needed for this newly, freshly freed nation family to live as a healthy, free community and society. The first four commandments of the ten actually tell us and tell them and tell us how we are to, as a freed people, how we are to live in relation to God. And this is the nature of what has been called the Shema. And the Shema comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Now we recognize those words because in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all three, sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptic gospels, Jesus reiterates these words. He repeats them with a slight variation in a couple. So how do we live in relation to God? Well, we are to love God. And we are to love Him passionately with all of our heart and soul. We are to love Him thoughtfully with all of our mind. And thirdly, we are to love Him practically with all of our strength, physically, tangibly, and visibly. That's what it means to love God. That's what the first four commandments are all about. How this newly freed nation family, this new community, which is forming and learning how to function, first of all, they need to learn how to function in relationship to their God. And this is how they do it. And then we come to the last six, and the last six tell them and us how we are supposed to function in relation to each other horizontally. And the last six could be summed up in four statements. First of all is this, that in relation to one another, we are to honor human life as sacred. Respect life. Number two, be honest and fair. And by doing so, we protect the the dignity of work. And then, preserve personal relationships. And the last one is simply this, respect the truth. Speak and act truthfully. Now, follow me. The Ten Commandments, the first four, is how we live in relationship with God, how this newly formed nation Israel, who are newly freed, freshly freed out of Egypt, how they are to function as a relationship in relation to God, and then, of course, into relation with one another, with as the same as you and I. All of the laws of Leviticus, how many of you have ever read Leviticus? Raise your hand. It doesn't mean you're a geek. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand nice and high. How many of you have, how many of you have ever read? How many, hands down. How many of you, confession time, good for the soul, they say. How many of you have never read the book of Leviticus? Raise your hand. 
Thank you for being honest. How many of you, put your hands down, how many of you have tried to read the book of Leviticus and lost hope? Bless your hearts. Now let me tell you about Leviticus and let me tell you about the book of Deuteronomy. All they are is this. <clears throat> the entire laws of Moses as they are referred to in Leviticus and Deuteronomy explain in practical terms how to live in relationship to God vertically and how to live in relationship with each other horizontally. That's the essence of the law. How to love God and how to live together and love and respect one another. <clears throat> That's why there are dietary laws and there are laws that have to do with personal hygiene because this is a nation who is freed. This is a nation who has to function now as a newly freed community of people. Matter of fact, it's incredible how practical the book of Leviticus actually is. And you look at it, and you just look at the personal hygiene realities there, and you're saying to me, what's the deal here? The deal is that they have a purpose. And the purpose is to show, here's the practical realities of what it means to live in relationship with God and to love Him, and here's the practical realities of living and loving and respecting one another on a community basis. But there's also this. And this is where I want to get to. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God is where God comes down. Now, this is the age-old tension between the God who comes down versus God up there. Now, most religions in the world are about our efforts, human efforts, human beings trying to reach up to God, to the God who is up there. But the story, biblical Christianity, the story is about God who comes down to us. Who reaches down to human beings. And all we have to do is respond. This is what happens in the text that we just read together. God comes down. Now put your seatbelt on because this is God's grand vision. This is the purpose for the covenant. This is the purpose for the story. God's grand vision is to be with us. God's grand vision is to be with you, with me, with us. He's the God who comes down. And the first real coming down that we have is in the book of Genesis where God comes down to Adam and Eve. Because He wants to be with them and He comes down, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. And then we have God coming down here in our text at Mount Sinai. The next coming down, God will come down and He will come down in the tabernacle in the wilderness, in the desert, and He will dwell there. And that will move from the desert to the temple that will be established in Jerusalem and God will come down there and He will dwell amongst the people. 
the God who comes down. And of course, you know what's next. And then his ultimate and intimate coming down was through Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets personal. And this is where it gets personal and individual for you and me as Christ followers. And where it gets personal for us as the body of Christ, the church. The church is not a building. The church is us. We are the place where God resides. Is it any wonder that we have messages and tongues and interpretation and works of prophecy? Because God comes down. Listen to what Paul says. Don't you know? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Now, in another place, he says this. He says, not only is the church the place where God comes down and we are the dwelling place of God, but in another text, he says that me as an individual, you as an individual, we as persons, we are the dwelling place of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting my head around that. Because I know how sinful I am and I'm getting to know how sinful you are. But that doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but it's not an issue here because the Bible says that He takes up residence in your life, in my life. God dwells in you. Not on Sinai, not in the tabernacle, not in the temple, not even in this building, which is just brick and stone that we use it sometimes like an idol. Oh, did I say that out loud? Sorry. This building is not the church. This is just the structure that embodies us, puts us together in the same room. We are the church. My goodness. If we want to talk about holy ground, then this is it. And we are it. We are standing on holy ground. And you know what I was thinking earlier this morning? I won't make you do this, but I thought about it. I thought it would be kind of quirky. <laughs> but quirky is not above me. I was thinking, you know, when we take communion this morning, I should have everybody take their shoes off and come to the communion table understanding that we are standing 
He's here. God chose you. He chose Israel first, and now He chose you. He chose me. He chose us. But Israel's family nation had to choose as well. Just like we have to choose. Now most of us in the room, most of us watching online, we've already chosen. But every time we walk to the communion table, every time we partake of the juice and the bread, we are choosing afresh, we are choosing anew, we are choosing again. To be in relationship with Him. Every time we receive it, every time we walk to receive it, it is our profession of faith again and again, afresh and anew. I choose You, Lord, because You chose me. And if you have not chosen today, if you have not said yes to God's offer and love and forgiveness today, all you have to do is say yes. You can pray a prayer and say, Lord, I don't understand. God, I don't understand everything about this Christianity thing, but I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe You're a Savior. I believe You choose me and now I'm choosing You. So I ask You to forgive me. And you do that this morning. And for the first time, you can walk and take these emblems and you can receive them as a profession of your new faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come and you take the bread today, before you take it, say to yourself, this is your body broken for me. And when you take the cup, say this, this is your blood shed for me. Would you stand with me for a moment? And let me read these words. Would you advance the slides for me, please? For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on themselves. And that is why a number of you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. For if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgments. Nevertheless, 
When we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So this morning, I'm not going to tell you when to take communion. I'm not going to lead you in communion. This morning, it's going to be individual. It's going to be personal. But I want to say again, we are standing on holy ground. And you may want to slip your feet, your shoes off your feet. Just like God said to Moses, take off your sandals. Because you are standing on holy ground. Do you know why it's holy? Because God's here. And because we're here. And we are the dwelling place of God. And when you come this morning, you're coming... Our walking is a profession. Again, a renewal. Lord, you chose me. And today I choose you. Your body broken for me. Your blood shed for me. If you are unable to come to the front because of mobility issues, all you need to do is raise your hands. Raise your hand. And somebody in the back will come, Mike will come, and he will share communion or give the emblems to you. Let's pause. Father, I don't think anybody in the room mistakes that we are standing on holy ground. And Father, as we come today for communion, may we hear the words of the covenant in Jesus Christ, where God says, I choose you. I choose you. And now, Father, I pray for those that have not yet said yes, that this would be the day that they say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And they would walk down here and take the bread and the juice that represent your body and your blood for the very first time as a profession of their faith, a public demonstration. And for those of us who have already chosen, I choose again, anew, afresh. I choose you.